So please tell me, what are you doing in Budapest? What brings you to this great city? Well, I, I do love Budapest, uh, but um, as we're warming up to a campaign, I wouldn't have come unless I had gotten this great invitation to talk about green growth. Mm -hmm. This is one of my favorite topics. How do we turn around the European economy? How do we overcome anemic growth? And uh, how can we, at the same time, avoid making all the mis old mistakes over again? So, so can there be a different, well, let's say, recipe, to put it simply, for uh, creating more economic dynamic, creating more social inclusion, providing more jobs, providing for some strong, stronger competitiveness, and still not ignore the challenges of uh, the environmental responsibilities that we all have or uh, um, runaway climate change. Mm -hmm. and, and I do believe that there are not only ideas out there, there are concepts out there, there are examples out there that show that it can be done. Mm -hmm. that, that an industrial renaissance and environmental responsibility is not an either or, it's not a trade-off. I would even argue that to, to develop and preserve European competitiveness in the medium and long term, you have to build it on a concept and a practice of sustainability. So, so this is what I will be talking about. And of course, this focuses to some degree on energy policy because obviously energy is a big deal there, but also uh, similarly resource issues, resource efficiency is also a, a major challenge. Um, and I've, I've done a lot of work on that in the European Parliament. And of course, um, this is um, and and this is a part of the message that I want to send here. Greening industry or greening growth is not just a limited offer to a nimble number of small greenish sectors of the economy. Mm -hmm. It's it's basically uh, an opportunity across the board. You can green all industries, maybe with the exception of the oil business, uh, but, <laughs> but uh, you can green all industries, automotive, chemical, machine tools, and so on. And uh, the, the core targets that you have to go for is uh, energy and resource efficiency. Mm -hmm. And there, of course, this whole discussion becomes deeply involved with decision-making on the European level right now, where the European Commission proposes to give up on energy efficiency targets for, for the EU, which I think is completely crazy and very deplorable. It sounds to me like the, uh, like the green movement is much more than just an economic movement. It's much more than that. It's, uh, it's also a social movement. It also has these political aspects to it as well. Sure. I know that in uh, Germany, following the uh, Fukushima crisis, uh, the German government made a pretty uh, hard line stance to say we're going to move away from nuclear energy. 
that the uh, nuclear power plants that were operating in Germany would be closed by 2022, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, what is the reasoning for this? Well, in Germany you have had a popular majority of two-thirds consistently arguing that we should face out nuclear since 1987. So it's been a long-standing since process. Since Chernobyl. Uh-huh. And the Green Party, my party, was the stalwart defender of that position. And in the political system, for a long time, we were just a tiny minority, so the, the majority of the people were not really represented in Parliament mm -hmm. on that issue. And then we started getting successful in turning that around. And when we entered government in 1998, in the contract that we struck with the Social Democratic Party, the phase-out was part of the deal. Mm -hmm. So then the first phase-out happened, and we had a compromise with the industry over the phase-out. Then after we um, uh, were voted out of government again after a couple of years, uh, subsequent governments under lobby pressure wanted to turn that, the turn that around and do that reversed the decision and then they ran into a political dead end by putting that on the agenda just before Fukushima happened. Uh, and Fukushima was the obvious wake up call. Wake up call the proof that all their promises of well uh, Chernobyl that was old Soviet technology. Mm -hmm. That was a that was a stinging phrase at the time well, this is Soviet technology. What would you expect? But we in the West, we have high-tech. Now, who's more high-tech than the Japanese? Yeah. And it happened to them also. So that changed a lot of perceptions. And overnight, you couldn't find many people in the country anymore that would buy the old crap. So, hmm. so basically, in the political system of Germany, all the parties have become anti-nuclear parties. So basically, to that, in that dimension, everybody has sort of taken a, 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 a line from the Greens, yeah. and, and the conservative government initiated the second phase-out, and, 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 or I would say, made our initial initiative mm -hmm. stick. And it was possible, and that's the second interesting point, it was possible to do that because we had been able to prove that all the anxieties, German angst is very famous worldwide, I guess, uh, that all the anxieties over will we have enough electricity if we face out nuclear were proven wrong because of a strong development of renewables. Mm -hmm. Germany is now and has been for several years running an, a net exporter of energy. We're exporting more than we ever did hmm. because the increase in renewables is far outweighing the decrease in, in nuclear. Do you feel that this is a trend that other European nations should also follow? The move away from the more traditional uh, sources of energy to renewable energy to more sustainable energy. Uh, it's something that could be a, a very difficult topic given the costs that are associated with renewable energy. Well, cost is really an issue. 
for for industry and for consumers, obviously. Uh, but uh, if you make a fair comparison, uh, I think um, you have to take note of the fact that there's a lot of subsidies being paid out to fossil, like mm -hmm. coal. In Spain, every single job in the coal mining sector is being subsidized by a million euro per year. Wow. There's a lot of subsidies in fossil. There's a lot of subsidies in nuclear, and there's also subsidies for renewables. Mm -hmm. But what we've managed to do, we've, we've tried to, and we've created a kind of sunset mechanism, reducing the, the uh, renewable subsidies year by year. And because the technology development has been so strong, we have been even been able to hasten up to, uh, the decrease in, in uh, subsidies. So for instance, when we started the whole scheme, uh, the subsidy uh, for photovoltaics uh, per kilowatt hour was around 40 euros in, mm -hmm. huge. Now it's getting close to 12. Hmm. That's, that's a giant leap yeah. forward. And it's being made possible by giant leaps in the technology. But those technology developments could only come into being because we created a market. Mm -hmm. Unless you have a market, there's no technology development. So we, we did in, indeed subsidize a nascent industry. What we made it so strong that it's now close to marketability. So, so with some of the renewables, you don't need any subsidy anymore. Wind in favorite wind regions is so cheap that it's even competitive with nuclear that does not have to pay and its Germany, real cost. Germany has a good example of this as well. And we created a lot of jobs. I mean, this is also interesting. The old fossil industry and the nuclear industry, they don't provide a whole lot of jobs. But there have been hundreds of thousands of new jobs in the uh, renewable sector. And once the, um, the, the national president of the uh, uh, elec el electrical trade organization wrote, me a, uh, wrote a letter saying, look, a third of the small and medium-sized enterprises that we still have in our sector wouldn't exist today if you had not initiated hmm. that renewable policy because that gives us business that gives us profits that gives us an opportunity to create jobs I'd like to quote you now uh, you gave a you spoke at a debate on January 14th and you said that uh, we have to innovate move forward and engage in new ideas competitiveness must not be seen as a trade-off against sustainability right it's a very that's a very deep statement deep statement to make. What do you think is hindering the, the general public, or at least the political, uh, the political elite, from, uh, from actually moving forward with sustainable energy? Be sure to make a clear difference there between the general public and some so-called elites. Because the general public supports our course. The so-called Energiewende, the energy transition policy that we're trying to make real in Germany. Uh, that is supported by an overwhelming majority of the public. It's hmm. some lobbies that uh, are not satisfied with the process. And this is, of course, some uh, industrial losers. I mean, we had 
four major utilities in the country that control almost everything with regard to energy generation. And all of a sudden, because they didn't watch out and because they didn't realize that this new technology was not to be ignored and that they should have invested, yeah. they are experiencing competitive problems. They are they left be behind. They are left behind. So they, they have to follow suit. And of course, they would much rather sort of pursue their old ways, their old oligopolistic ways, for instance. And we create new, new competition, which reduces the cost of energy. We create a whole new class of entrepreneurs who play in the market and, and, and uh, prevent oligopolistic or monopolistic control of the market. So in, in a way, this is a, um, a program to resuscitate. Uh, the Breathes new life into the economy. Right, in, the economy. And, and however, and I want to, I don't want to forget about the dark notes also. Um, if Europe doesn't speed up and doesn't keep abreast with progress, uh, we're going to lose out. Uh, I've seen recent studies that seem to indicate that from the point of view of investment in renewables and from the point of view of patents in that sector, Europe is in danger of losing out to the US, Japan, and China. Hmm. And the most recent technological breakthrough with regard to PV that could end up doubling the effectiveness, the theoretical effectiveness of PV uh, was made in MIT mm. and not in Europe. So, so I think what, what the, uh, the, the statement that you quoted also says is there is a low road to nowhere. There, there, there is a, a road of not innovating, trying to depress wages, depress taxes, depress cost, and forget about innovation. If Europe, or as far as Europe pursues that road, Europe will lose out in competitiveness with regard to other players. Famously, Thomas Friedman from the New York Times mm -hmm. once wrote about China saying, during the first industrial revolution, China was fast asleep. During the second, they started waking up and they want to lead the third. Yeah. And if you look what they're doing, that's exactly true. So Europe has to move ahead. It's crucial to get acting now. Yeah. One, one, one final question, a very short one here, is um, you've heard about the developments with the, uh, the, with the Russian authorities regarding the uh, development Boksh. of Boksh. Uh, do you have any comments on that? That's most deplorable from three aspects. A, it's the wrong kind of energy, and it will sort of um, cement the wrong development uh, uh, for, for decades. Um, it will stand in the way of a more progressive energy policy, so, so that's most deplorable. Mm -hmm. Number two, it will stand in the way of renewables, for instance, where Hungary has a greater potential than all its neighbors. So they're wasting the best opportunities. Second, it's completely undemocratic. It's sort the, of the way the decision was made. It smells authoritarian. It was without a tender. It was without debate in parliament, without public debate, 
without a feasibility study, no referendum, nothing. Just two leaders. Uh, behind closed doors. Behind closed doors. So undemocratic, intransparent, and third, it makes Hungary much more dependent on Russia. And I think Hungarians should think about that too. It'll We're, complicate the country's role with the European Union, for look, example. Mr. Orban said he doesn't want to be a colony of Brussels. No. What, what exactly is his relationship going to be to Moscow then? I mean, aren't we just witnessing what Moscow is doing with their neighbors when we look at uh, what's happening in Kiev? Mm -hmm. Haven't we been able to understand that Russia, the present government in Russia, Mr. Putin, is trying to use energy policy to create new dependencies to re resuscitate, re-establish old imperial grandeur on the basis of not using military tools, but using economic tools, and in particular uh, energy. There are studies by the European Commission that show not only could a more ambitious CO2 reduction and energy efficiency and renewables policy create many more jobs in Europe, it could also reduce the dependency on Russia to a great degree. Mm -hmm. So I think Hungarians should think about all three dimensions. Well, I'm sure they would have liked to, but unfortunately they didn't get the chance to on this one. Well, they get a chance in the election to right. give an answer. That's right. Thank you for your time. I know they're going to they're gonna be pulling you away from yeah. me here soon.